thank you to the music team. You've led us so well into worship, into the presence of God. It's really a privilege for me again to be here tonight. We're going to do something exciting. As you know, we're busy with the series Encountering God. I, I feel this is really a great series. I mean, after all, isn't that why we are here in church? To encounter God. And we look at different accounts. So last week, we started in Genesis, first man on earth, Adam and Eve, and how they encountered God. Tonight, we're going to go to quite an interesting character. We're going to see how it looked when Job encountered God. Woohoo! Am I the only one? Okay, you seem a bit nervous and unsettled. Please open your Bible to the book of Job. If you can, if you have Bibles here, church normally is a place where you can bring your Bible with. <laughs> Either or take your phone. Job 1. Let's go. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to practically do something small. And hopefully this will expose to you what your attitude is towards this guy and this story and this book. So if you have your Bible open on Job 1, just give it a little kiss like this. You know, so for some of you, it's easy, but, but some of you might say, like, that's not how I feel about the book of Job, isn't it? You know, you get to chapter 5, and you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. Time's up. Can't do any more of this mumbling and grumbling and this talk, this conversation. It just carries on forever and ever, doesn't it, eh? So we're going to go into that uncomfortable space, and we're going to unpack that and see if we can see how he encountered God, and we can understand something from that, and hopefully it's going to inspire us tonight to have the same type of encounter with God. Who of you have been to a, to a state theater or maybe a small theater where you've watched a theater production? I love that scene. You know, the curtain open, characters on stage, you get to know who's who in the zoo, the story slowly starts to unfold. We get into the story, and then there's usually some sort of dramatic twist. Something weird happens, and then everybody's thrown apart and upside down, and the story builds a tension. It holds a certain tension. And you're like, I wonder how this thing is going to end. And the tension is building up and up and up and up. And, and until you get to a place, especially with dramas, you, you can hardly bear it anymore. It's like, oh, please just stop. And then something happened, you know, in the end. Maybe someone does something or says something, and then it quickly resolves. And then the whole story comes to an end, and curtain close, and the characters come to the front, and they bow, and there's, there's an applause. But then you drive home, and in the car, you can't help but either have a conversation about the whole thing, you always like repeat the whole drama again in the car, or your mind plays back some back flashes of what you just witnessed. And it really challenges the way that you think. And that's the intention of a drama. So I've um, been to Art Club way back, and I've watched an Afrikaans production. It was called Altijd Jonker. In English, it's called Always Jonker. Okay, Jonker is a surname. It's actually about the story of the poet Ingrid Jonker. It's a very sad story and quite an intense drama. It's about this poet who ended up committing suicide, drowning herself in the ocean. 
And the whole story takes you back into her life story of how she was, from a young child, repeatedly sexually abused and emotionally abused by men. And even in relationships, she never found that healing. She was always exposed to the same trauma over and over and over. Who watches things like that? I mean, come on. <laughs> but there was this one scene that I remember from that story. The whole stage was filled with sea sand. And they had these fake walls. And then they had these male dancers, and those guys could dance. And then she would be standing in the middle the lady that played the part, and the men would dance all around her, and then each of them had a turn, and they would dance with her and twist and twirl her a little bit, and then they went off, and the next guy would come. And there was no sexual or explicit things happening there, but we all knew, watching that, that was the symbolic play out of this repeated sexual encounters that she had one by one by one, the one after the other, but what I remember was these male dancers, when they danced, they kicked the sand. And they would make this, I can't do that move, but <laughs> make a bit of a tumble. And then you just see the sea sand all over the place. It was like an early morning at the beach. So it, it connects with the ocean that she eventually got drowned into. That was more than 15 years ago. I still remember that scene. I can still tell the story of Ingrid Juncker. That's the thing about the drama. It sits with you. And hopefully tonight this drama will sit with you. So we're going to go into the drama of the book of Job. Curtain open. Character on stage. Job. There was a man named Job. The Bible says he was an upright man, a blameless man. <coughs> Excuse me. He feared God. He shunned evil. We would say in typically today's terms, he's a religious man or he's a godly man. He's a church man. Good old Job. But Job wasn't just a good old guy. He was actually quite a famous guy. He was the greatest man among the people of, of the East. The East. That means the whole Eastern part of the ancient world was the greatest man. Why was he the greatest man? He was filthy rich. He had a lot of money. He had thousands of sheep, thousands of oxen, thousands of camels. And the Bible also mentions some donkeys as well. Don't know what's the value of a donkey, but he had quite a lot of them. Okay, and it is luck too. If you've got a lot of money, you become the most famous person in that area. It gives you power. It gives you influence. But then he also said he had ten children, seven sons, three beautiful daughters, and these children had a ritual. They would typically have maybe birthday parties or things like that. They would have these celebrations at home. And Job, being an upright man, every time his children celebrated, he would go afterwards and make an offering to God and prayed for them and interceded for them because maybe, perhaps, they have been sinning. I don't know if they were maybe drinking a little bit too much or maybe they started to slander and speak things that they don't know what they're talking about. I don't know, but Job was so in tune with God that even after every party, he would intercede for his children. That's the context. And then we see a messenger coming to Job. He says, Job, um, something happened. The Sabians, they came, they attacked us, and they took all the oxen. That's about a thousand cattle moving. Can you imagine that? 
It doesn't happen overnight, stalikis. You know, it's, it happens during the day. And they said, they killed all the servants by sword. So the servants are all killed. They're gone. Then here comes another messenger. Job, Job, there's been, a, there's been a fire, a fire from God. And then all the sheep, they burned up. It was something like 3,000 or 5,000 sheep dead, gone us. And with that, your servants, they too, they're gone. Here comes another messenger. Job, Job, the Chaldeans, they came from the north. They took all the camels. Those people, you know, they want camels. <laughs> and then, if that's not enough, here comes another messenger. Job, I don't know how to say this to you. Something bad happened. You know, your children were gathered for one of their typical festivals. And there came a mighty wind from the east. And it shook the foundations of the house. And it collapsed on them. Job, I don't know how to say it. They're all dead. All your children. Let's for a moment just absorb and think what happened to this man. He's a farmer. He's lost all his livestock. That meant he's lost his farm, he's lost his business, he lost his way of earning money. He's lost his provision. He also lost his servants. That means those people that could help to rebuild this empire are all gone. Nada, nothing. But on top of him losing his income, losing his job, does it sound familiar? Does it happen today? People losing their job, losing their income? It happens still today. He lost his family. He's lost his children. <clears throat> and here's how he responded. He fell to the ground. He threw ashes on his... The Old Testament is so dramatic, eh? They had beautiful customs. If something happens like that, they would humble themselves by tearing their clothes, throwing ash on their head, and then he went and sat down. He fell to the ground, and he, he said the following words, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. I had nothing to start with, and I will have nothing when I go. What a, what a sound theological way of interpreting this whole thing. And he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I wonder if we would respond the same way. If we experience the same things. Maybe you got a messenger that says, sorry, no bursary anymore for the rest of the year. Funds dried up. Maybe your parents, maybe your dad has lost his income. And it jeopardizes your future. Do you also go, blessed be the name of the Lord? Then Satan afflicted Job with painful sores. Bible says from his head to his toes, he's had these horrible sores. And he would sit on the ash heap and take pieces of pottery and he would scrape himself. Do you know, I've, I cut my finger last night with a paper... And it itches in there. And you want to do something. I don't know. You can't get rid of that itching. My wife said, let's put some um, balm on. And she put a nice plaster. And I feel much better today. <laughs> but I think this is what, it describes a condition that's well known today. Have you ever heard about the, the concept man flu? Who knows what man flu is? The women's got no idea what I'm talking about. 
And the men are like, yeah, that's true. It's terrible. I lie in my bed, in my misery, in my pain. If only someone would come and rub my back, bring me a toast or a cup of tea, just to have a bit of sympathy. They just understand what I'm going through, all the men, amen. Man flu, this is what I read when I read this. And then on top of that, you've got the unsympathetic wife. She pitches up. She's like, are you still holding on to integrity, Job? Just cursed God and die. That's what she said. Come on, what a woman. And he, and he said, he says, you're talking foolish, woman. Shall we accept good from God and not the, and not the trouble? In other words... Are we only serving God when things go right? Shall I abandon God now that I'm here? And we criticize this woman who she, who's like, what ungodly woman Job married into? Listen, when he lost his job, she also lost everything. She had nothing to give him. No food, no toast, no jam, no tea, nothing. She was the one that needed to uphold his moral, his, um, his morale. Try to be the one next to someone that gets sick and try to keep them cheered up. Try to be the woman that lost her children and still need to work through her grieving. Now she needs to, you know, get this man positive. You reach a certain point where you can't handle it anymore. So somehow I've got a bit of grace with this woman. But then the friends of Job, they heard about the trouble and they went, they came from very far. Their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Remember those names. I'm going to write a test at the end. So they came from their homes and they agreed to come together, listen to this, to go and sympathize. Say the word sympathize. That's what they set out to do. And they, uh, they said, we're going to bring him some comfort. Isn't that what we normally do when, we, when you hear your friend is in trouble? And you go and visit them. Hey, how are you doing? I'm here. I want to sympathize. I want to bring you some comfort. I would assume that's naturally what we do. The Bible says they came. And when they saw him in the distance, they saw him from far, they could hardly recognize him. Imagine your friend who you love is hardly recognizable because of pain and suffering and illness. And the Bible says they wept aloud how funny is that three grown men if the bible talks about men weeping aloud i can just imagine it weeping aloud how does that look and sound like <sighs> it's an ugly cry man you don't weep aloud and you keep it to yourself weeping aloud is like everybody's you just see these tears coming out but you know what it takes quite a lot to get three men to weep aloud they were moved by the severe suffering that they witnessed, and they responded that way. Then something beautiful happened. They sat with him on the airship, and the Bible says for seven days and for seven nights, no one said a word. Silence. And they couldn't speak because of the intensity of what they were witnessing. There's no words. I don't know about you, but when I hear about someone who's, who's lost a friend or a family member, you know, passing away, 
My first response usually is like, I don't know what to say. I don't have words. And yet I feel the urge to convert that into a message. And then you start to type. Hey, my friend, I don't have any words. But I just want to say, <laughs> then we jump into that. But Job was actually the one that broke the silence. And the Bible says when he started to speak, he opened his mouth and he cursed his birthday. He says, <coughs> May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was set, a boy is born. That day may it turn into darkness, may a cloud settle over it, may blackness overwhelm it. Oh, dark. That night... May thick darkness seize it. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May it not be included among the days of the year. Take it out. I like this part. May those who curse days curse that day. I didn't know that there's a group of people that go around and curse days. I had this day. Horrible day. Maybe we are the people that curse days. We wake up in the morning and we are so negative we curse the day. He says, then curse that day. Choose my birthday and curse it. And I think I'm joining Job's club because I'm about to change my birthday. I'm, my birthday is the 20th of July. I dread that day. It's cold. I don't like the winter. So I'm going to change it now to February. And I already imagine how it's going to be. We're going to have a summer swimming pool party. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to one of those big pink flamingos. And I'm going to be just lying there in the water the whole day soaking and having a drink with a lucky umbrella and a cherry or something and we're going to have like an American barbecue type of thing. No winter sitting out in the cold by the bush in the felt and the fire. I'm tired of that. But you know, that's not the only reason why I want to do that. Here's the thing. Three years ago, in COVID, on my birthday, the day before my birthday, actually, it was a Sunday, we were celebrating at our home, and my wife, I know she surprised me with a chocolate cake. And I remember my dad was um, becoming weaker. And I remember saying to her, listen, you, you better get that surprise coming. We don't have a lot of time. And I still remember us. My friends are here tonight. We were around the table. We had chocolate cake when I got the news that my dad passed away. My birthday is forever marked by something that I didn't choose. It's certainly not sitting well with me. And I know some of you, after the service, you're going to come to me and say, oh, sure, I feel so sorry about that. And I just want to say, and you're going to try to find words to paint a better picture for me. You're going to say, well, at least you will never forget your dad. Think about that. And we have all these at least, at least this. Oh, my child is sick, at least you have a child. Oh, I'm struggling with my studies, at least you're in a university. And we become so unsympathetic because we've got actually no way, we don't know what to say. And that's my story. I don't know about you. So join me in February. But Job was cursing his birthday and he goes on and he's asking the why question. He's saying, why did I not perish at birth as I came from the womb? Why were their knees 
to receive me and breast that I might be nursed? Why did I have a mother? Why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child? Why me, Lord? Why this, Lord? Have you ever came to a place where you started to ask the why question? So maybe the friends thought, this is, this is our cue. He's asking the why question. Let's engage. So Eliphaz is the first out of the blocks. He's like, <clears throat> a word was secretly brought to me. A whisper. He goes on and talks about dreams. A spirit. He had a spirit encounter. A hushed voice. And he says, listen to me, I'll explain it to you, what I've heard. And then he says this, all the days the wicked man suffers torment. Call if you will, but no one will answer. You wicked man, Job. Job. Oh, if only I knew where to find him. I would call, but I know nowhere to find him. Don't you get frustrated when you try to point people in a direction and they just go straight back into their pain and they can't seem to move beyond it. He goes on, he says, blessed is the man who, whom God corrects. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. Submit to God and prosperity will come back to you. Job says, I'll not keep silent. I will speak out of the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in bitterness of my soul. Oh, if God would be willing to crush me, to let me loose of his hand and to cut me off. Can I just die? Why did you make me your target? He says. Have I become a burden to you, Lord? Don't you sometimes feel like you've become a burden? Life is weighing you down and you don't want to share it to someone because maybe they think you're a burden. What is this guy, Eliphaz, saying? He's saying the following. He says, God is a transcendent God. He's beyond and above creation. He's there, up there, busy with important things. He can't be bothered with wicked, sinful people. They're not even on his agenda. So you need to count yourself lucky and blessed, Job, that this wonderful big God is actually bothered with you to allow suffering in your life so that he can discipline you to become a better person. Get with the program, Job. Be appreciative. Friend number two, Builder. Does God pervert justice? Do you think God is an unjust God? When your children sinned against God, he gave them over to the penalty they deserved. Fatsua. How's that for sympathy? Your children died because they sinned. Job says, if it's a matter of justice, who will summon him even if I summon him, I don't think he's going to give me a hearing. Could someone just arbitrate between us, put these hands on us and bring us together? Can someone just take away the wrath of God, the torment that's on my life? Then Bildad reminds him, he says, but hang on, the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. If you're wicked, you're going to die. Your children, wicked, snuffed out. They flame, stopped burning. The memory of him perishes from the earth. Terror startled him and calamity is hungry for him and disaster is ready for him. Job asks an important question. He says, how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? Is it every time that a person is wicked that their lamp is snuffed out? Or is it just my children? Important question, eh? 
He says, why do the wicked then live on and grow old, increase in power, and they see their children established around them, and their homes are safe? Why do they grow up, but my children didn't grow up? Is it only with me, or is it happening every time that someone is wicked? There's a bit of a feat on the mic. So what is this build-up guy actually saying? He says, God is almighty, he's the omnipotent God. He cannot be argued with, he's sovereign. So you must just accept the fact that they were sinners who deserved his wrath. Deal with it, Job. Do you want to listen to friend number three? He says, you say your beliefs are flawless and that you are pure in God's sight, Job. Oh, I wish that God would open his mouth and speak against you. Because God knows things about you. Let God reveal his secret wisdom. You will see wisdom has got two sides. He says, Job says, wisdom will die with you. Don't you have these people that are just like all wise? They've got all the answers. But then he says, you are worthless physicians, all of you. Worthless doctors, he's saying. If only you would altogether be silent for you, that would be wisdom. Then he goes on, so far. The joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Terrors will come. Fire, flood, calamity. The same story. God's wrath. It's allotted for the wicked. And Job asks again the question. He's like, um, how often does calamity come upon them? Does it come on every person that's wicked? Or does calamity only come on me and my children? Because I don't see it happening everywhere. Sometimes we have these simplified answers and absolute statements that we make that we think is always ever true. Then what is Zophar saying? Zophar is saying God is all wise, the omniscient God who knows everything. And even if you say and think that you haven't sinned, God knows about the unconscious and subconscious sin that you've been doing that you were not even aware of. So point is, you're a sinner, that's why this has happened. Then Job breaks out in this speech. Now, all of those conversations was about every one of them had actually three speeches that they make, and Job responds with a speech to everybody. I just summarized some of his words, and he says, miserable comfort, comforters are you all. Will your long-winded speeches never end? How long will you torment me and crush me with words? You shamelessly you attack me. Have pity on me, friends, for the hand of God has struck me. My face is red with weeping. Deep shadows ring my eyes. My spirit is broken. Keep silent, let me speak. And then let come to me what it may. Whatever happens then, that's okay. Ask the animals, ask the birds, ask the fish. They will tell you, they will inform you that it was the hand of God that has done it. It's not me, it's not my sin, it's God. Him, he did it. God has wronged me. He drawn his net around me. Though I cry, I've been wronged. I get no response. Why do you hide your face from me, he says, and consider me your enemy? It sounds like the words of Jesus on the cross to his father. He says, my father, why have you forsaken me? The difference is Jesus knew that he's going to be resurrected soon. Job had no idea about the resurrection. There was no such hope of eternal life. That hope is not even part of his theology at that point of time. And then he says, 
Oh, that my words were recorded and written in a scroll. And I thought to myself, Joe, they wrote 40 chapters on your words. Okay, it's all there. Someone got that. I think God heard his prayer. Beautiful words, he says. I know that my Redeemer loves. And though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Beautiful, eh? Just such a pity that his friends and his wife couldn't get him to that point. He had to encourage himself. But then he says, I'm asking these two things for, from God. First of all, withdraw your hand. Stop frightening me with your tor torment and your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer or let me speak and you reply. God, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for a God conversation. And then the three friends are like, okay, they just withdrew because they saw that Job is defending himself, justifying himself. And then this random young guy, his name is Elihu, became angry. I don't know where he came from. He wasn't introduced. Maybe he was just standing there. And like many younger persons, he felt that I've got it. You all miss it. And he's saying this. I says, I'm young in years, and I thought age should speak. Let the age first speak. But he says, none of you succeeded in helping Job to understand that he's wrong. He says, but inside, I'm like a bottled up wine. I'm ready to burst. I must speak and find relief. He's like holding himself back. I've got the answer. I've got no one. All these older people, they don't know what they're talking about. I know I've got the answer. Don't you know people like that? You've been studying now. You're thirstier. You're an engineer. You sort of are quite smart. And then your 15-year-old little sister tries to be smart and clever, and she tells you how life works. And you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, no, 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 I know. I was a teenager too. I had an older sister, and we had a lot of arguments. And then there was a place where we, she always told me something, and I was like, I know, I know. She's like, no, you don't. And then she would try to correct me because she really loved me and cared for me. And I was like, no, but I know, I know. I always felt I knew better. And actually, I knew nothing. We all go through that phase. Maybe he's in that phase. But this is what he's saying to Job. He says, it's the breath of the Almighty that gives us knowledge. And then he goes on, he says, one perfect in knowledge is here with you now. Can you imagine saying that to another human being? One perfect in knowledge. I've got it all. Just let me speak. And then he says the following. God does speak. He speaks in dreams. He speaks in your ear. He speaks in visions. And he terrifies people of, the, of their wrongdoings. Or a man may be chastened on a bed of, of pain. Job, God did speak to you. You missed it all. You didn't listen. It's because you didn't listen to his voice that you ended up in this bed of pain. God does these things to a man twice or three times to turn him back from the dark pit, to win his soul back. God is exalted, and he, got, and he makes this dramatic speech. High in power, great is God, above all understanding. Who can understand how he spreads out the clouds? Now watch this. Thunders from his pavilion, he fills his hand with lightning, and he commands it to strike its mark. He, his thunder announces his coming storm. At this, my heart pounds and skips a beat. He's like, listen, listen to this voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. God voices, oh, it makes me tired. But he builds up this whole thing about God is in the storm and just listen to his voice. What is he saying? He says, this majestic God is beyond our reach. He's exalted. He's just, he's righteous, and he doesn't oppress. It's not that. 
It's that you didn't hear his voice. You didn't listen, Job. That's why. Then finally, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. This storm that this guy was describing, I think it's as if God was like, "Mm -hmm. thunder you say, lightning. Hmm. Let me show you lightning and thunder. And God creates this massive storm. It's like, you say something, but you don't know really what you're talking about. You can't really create any of this. And God comes with this humongous storm and he speaks. And God says the following. He says, who is this that darkens my counsel? With words, without knowledge. I hear a lot of speaking. But there's no substance to your knowledge. He says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. That's the sound of I'm in trouble, eh? And then the Lord says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who shut up the sea behind the doors when I said, this is how far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waters will. You know, God put the boundary line for the waves. He says, this is where you will go. Where were you on that day when I commanded the ocean can you raise your voice to the clouds and make it pour water on you can you cover yourself with water and then he throws in something completely different he says do you know when the mountain goats give birth well no I guess and then the Lord does something which I think is remarkable I don't know what this has got to do with Job's situation nothing I think But everything, he says, look at the behemoth. Tonight, when you go home, look at the behemoth. Which I made along with you, which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength he has in his loins, God describes this animal. The power in his muscles of his belly. His tail sways like a cedar. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like iron. And he's describing this massive beast-like animal. I don't know why, but he's just saying, look. look." Then he says, can you, can you pull the Leviathan with a fish hook? The Leviathan. Have you ever seen a Leviathan? Okay. Job did. Okay. (laughs) You know, he says something. He says, can you put a cord through his nose? In other words, can you tame him? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Say, hey, here's a nice pet for you. A fire-spitting dragon, okay? He says, if you lay your hand on him, you will remember the struggle and you will never do it again. Try, but you're not going to. What's going on here? So maybe in the ancient culture, he was maybe referring to dinosaurs. That behemoth, Leviathan. Maybe if he was staying in the east, maybe a Chinese, if Job was a Chinese, it might be the flying dragon with the fire coming out of his mouth. I do believe those creatures might have been there. But we know here in South Africa, God is speaking of a hippopotamus and a crocodile. Woo! At least we know that. That's the closest we can come to those two creatures. Why am I saying it's got nothing to do with Job but everything? Honestly, a hippopotamus, what has that got to do with Job's situation? Nothing. 
but everything. So it's not about the things God talks about. It's about the one that's speaking. God says, take your eyes off your circumstances. Just look at what I created. Can you see my power? Can you see my glory? This is who I am. God himself is introducing him to this man in his situation. Are you ready for him to reveal himself to you? And when he had this revelation, Job responded in this way. He says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply? Put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Because surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. I know that you can do all things. My ears have heard of you, but now I've seen you. Therefore I despise myself. I repent in the dust of the ashes. And Job repented. What did he have to repent of? You see, there's a pride in all of us that we think we know enough. We know God. And until God starts to reveal himself to you. He had to repent of himself. And then the beautiful thing happens. God says to him, okay, now Job, get up. Those three friends of you, they sinned against me by the way they spoke. Now you... Make an offering and pray for them so that I can forgive them. It's like God says, I couldn't stand what they were saying. And the Bible says when he prayed for his friends, God restored him in such a way that eventually he had double the blessing that he had initially. That means his livestock went up from 11,500 to 23,000. 23,000 cattle, sheep. Can you just imagine you standing there like, like him watching that? He had another 10 children. How long does it take to get 10 children? How long does it take to multiply your sheep until it becomes 11,000? You see, restoration doesn't always happen like this. It may start like this, but it might still take a process, but eventually you will get there. But for Job, it wasn't about that. That's why he said to his wife, shall we only accept the good from God and not the trouble? But God was gracious and he blessed him. You see, but Job gained something much more than cattle and sheep and money. He received something most valuable and a, a personal encounter with God, a revelation. If I can sum it up, Job suffered greatly even if he was a righteous, upright man. The big question, why do good people suffer? It happens. It still happens. But Job suffered even more by the words of his own friends who intended to come with sympathy but they end up being so unsympathetic at all his situation remained unchanged through the empty words of his friend how many times do you think you're going to change someone's situation by by your words one encounter with god one word of god and his life changed dramatically and you know the beautiful thing, God never even tried to explain to him the why question. Nada, it was not there. God didn't go there. God never gave him the answer. But yet it was enough for him to get up from that place and to move on with his life. We think we can only move on if God answers that why question. It's not true. You don't have to have the why answer. You just need God. You just need a revelation of God. And tonight there's some people here 
that you might be wrestling like Job with questions in your heart. And God says, it's not about answering that question. It's about me making myself available to you. You having a revelation of him. A fresh revelation. So tonight, this is what we're going to do. Some of you are in Job's situation. And then some of you are like the friends of Job. You've got people around you that you know they are in that place. And we're going to end this evening in a unique way. We're going to sing a song. And then we're going to go into a moment of silence. And the reason why I say that is for us to have an encounter with, Job, with God like Job did. We need to learn to become silent in God's presence. I'm going to say it in other words. We need to learn to shut up so that God can speak. And the words of the song, the chorus says, we stand in awe of you, a very old ancient song. We stand in awe of you. Here in your presence, we set our eyes on you. Not on the sickness, not on the drought, not on the lack of finance, not on the relationship, not on the studies. We put our eyes on you. And then he says, we stand in awe of you. Here in your presence, let our words be few. Let's get on our feet. We're going to sing this song. speaks your glory angels declare you are worthy you spoke a word and created the earth the stars erupted in praise the stars erupted in praise we stand in awe
encounter you we listen to you Ooh. we quiet down our souls now quiet down our minds and our worries Lord it's all about you about you, Jesus. Family, instruments are going to stop playing. We're going to stop singing. And just quiet down yourself and completely surrender this silent moment to God. You can go on your knees. You can sit against the wall, wherever you want to be. And just hear what God has to say to you tonight.
love about the book of Job um, and what I love about the message that Hank just shared is that it challenges us. It challenges how we see God. The enemy tested Job because the enemy thought Job was only a Christian because of all his great wealth. And I hear the Lord asking us today, why are you a Christian? Is it so that God can do stuff for you? Or is it so that you can have relationship with him? Because things come and go. We will be tested. We will be tried. We will experience heartache. We'll experience heartbreak. We'll experience riches. We'll experience poverty. You, one day you'll have money. One day you won't have money. You can pray and ask God to pay for your fees and God doesn't come through and then you're left in that messy situation where your fees aren't paid. And the question that the book of Job and that this sermon poses to us and challenges us on is are we still going to have relationship with God despite what is happening in our lives despite what is happening in the world and I'll put my hands up and say when, 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 when suffering comes I'm one of the first people to be like okay God I'm out peace it's been great simply because in that moment I believe that God is my personal assistant he's supposed to do things according to my will whereas it's the other way around he is Lord and I am there to just serve him and so church will you have relationship with God no matter what happens in your life because the question of suffering is a real one we will suffer that much is guaranteed suffer in the presence of God where you can receive true comfort Job tried to find comfort in his friends and it didn't work out but it was only when he had an encounter with God that he truly experienced comfort as Hank said the question as to why he suffered was never answered because it wasn't about his suffering but it was about him finding his comfort in So, if you are going through a difficult time, uh, and, a diffi- and a difficult time is relevant to you, it's not, you know, I don't know what you are going through, but you know what you are going through, and you need prayer, could you please put your hand up? Higher. Higher so we can see you. So, the people around them, can we just lay hands on these people who've got their hands up and let's pray for them. Let's be family. Let us not be like the friends where we try and figure out the answer, but let us be people who are going to stand in the gap and pray so that they have an encounter with God and hear from God for themselves into their situation. If you put your hand up and no one has come to pray for you, please keep your hand up so that people can come. Let's minister to each other.
Revelation 21 says the following. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud, uh, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. We thank you, Lord, for your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Um, could you please give the band a round of applause? And also, could you please give Hank a round of applause as well? Um, Hank, thank you so much for that message. Thank you for delivering such a, a difficult message with such grace and sensitivity. It didn't feel heavy, but, <laughs> but we knew it was heavy. But you carried it so well simply because I know you carry us in your prayers. Um, I could even tell how, how much you prayed into it. And so thank you for your prayers um, for this evening. Uh, and I hope and pray that each one of us had an encounter this evening with the Lord as we were remaining silent. And if you experienced nothing, it's okay as well. Um, the Lord is still there and the Lord wants to speak with you. And I'd like to encourage you to take 15 minutes out of your day each day to just sit and be silent and say, Lord, here I am. I want to meet with you every day until the Lord comes and he meets with you. Um, just a reminder, we have coffee and fellowship after the service. Um, and you can check the notice board on the, this door as you exit. There's a board with all the, our events and everything that you can sign up for um, that you can check there. I'll see you guys next week, Sunday.